Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Interesting. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com for some 15 years. Glad you could join us once again today. Well, okie dokie then. Um, Desi Doyen, we now have 12 fresh indictments to discuss. Yep. To somehow jam pack into today's program. 12 fresh indictments from uh, Robert Mueller's special counsel probe, which would seem to confirm. Frankly, so much of what I have been arguing for so many years regarding our wildly vulnerable computerized voting and vote counting systems and voter registration systems. I'll tell you, I miss the day when folks called me a conspiracy theorist. No, you don't. You're right, I don't. <laughs> At least, Actually, you know, I do. Uh, actually, I mean, things were much easier then. Well, they were easier, and it was uh, it was a lot less scary. It's now it's now become real, yeah. and it's it's much scarier. But at least other people now are finally recognizing From back it. when uh, they would call me that, uh, because I was warning that, hey, you know what? Russia or China or Iran or Al-Qaeda or really anybody at all, including some guy in Topeka, Kansas... Yes, even Chris Kobach, for that matter, could hack our voting and uh, voter registration and tabulation systems in a way that folks would most likely never notice until it was too late, if ever at all. Uh, these indictments, uh, these new indictments on Friday come on the same week when the, the um, U.S. Senate held hearings underscoring the vulnerabilities to our computerized voting systems with one U.S. senator, at least, finally filing a bill calling for not just paper ballots, but hand-marked paper ballots for every voter in the country. And all of that comes in the same week that a Republican and Democratic voter filed 
Uh, two voters actually filed a federal lawsuit in the great state of South Carolina demanding an end to the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems used across the state as first purchased by the state back in 2006 and, incredibly enough, still being used today despite the repeated failure in election after election of those systems and report after report by voting system and security experts warning of their vulnerability to hacking. Nonetheless, those uh, same completely vulnerable and totally unverifiable systems used in South Carolina for so many years are going to once again be used this November in the crucial midterm elections unless the uh, newly filed federal lawsuit this week forces a move to hand-marked paper ballots. Before then, we will speak to the Republican plaintiff in that case, who happens to be a longtime election integrity champion, and uh, his attorney shortly there, uh, short, uh, at the same time, we'll speak with both of them shortly on yet another remarkable day. So let's start first with these indictments. On the eve of Donald Trump's uh, meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Helsinki, Finland, and a day after congressional Republicans grilled for some 10 hours in a, a chaotic, insane chaotic public hearing, they grilled a longtime senior FBI counterintelligence official who was involved in investigating alleged interference by Russia in the 2016 presidential election. With all of that going on, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein announced on Friday the indictment of 12 Russian intelligence officers for their involvement in a plot to hack, steal and release emails from the DNC and from Hillary Clinton's campaign chief uh, and to hack and or manipulate our computerized and thus totally vulnerable election systems including allegedly deploying email phishing and spoofing schemes to plant malware on those systems, as well as the ones used by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, by the way, the DCCC, which is how they allegedly were able to get into the DNC systems to steal emails, according to the indictment. Uh, and they also planted malware on the systems of state and county election officials and computerized voter registration system companies. Here is Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein at the Justice Department on Friday revealing the indictments filed today as part of the ongoing investigation by Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Today, a grand jury in the District of Columbia returned an indictment presented by the Special Counsel's office. The indictment charges 12 Russian military officers by name for conspiring to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. Eleven of the defendants are charged with conspiring to hack into computers, steal documents, and release those documents with the intent to interfere in the election. One of those defendants and a twelfth Russian military officer are charged with conspiring to infiltrate computers of organizations involved in administering elections, including state boards of election, secretaries of state, and companies that supply software used to administer elections. According to the allegations in the indictment, the defendants worked for two units of the main intelligence directorate of the Russian general staff, known as the GRU. The units engaged in active cyber operations to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. 
the defendants used two techniques to steal information. First, they used a scheme known as spear phishing, which involves sending misleading email messages and tricking the users into disclosing their passwords and security information. Second, the defendants hacked into computer networks and installed malicious software that allowed them to spy on users and capture keystrokes, take screenshots, and exfiltrate or remove data from those computers. The defendants accessed email accounts of volunteers and employees of a U.S. presidential campaign, including the campaign chairman, starting in March of 2016. They also hacked into the computer networks of a congressional campaign committee and a national political committee. The defendants covertly monitored the computers and planted hundreds of files containing malicious computer code and stole emails and other documents. The conspirators created fictitious online personas, including DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0. And they used those personas to release information, including thousands of stolen emails and other documents, beginning in June of 2016. The defendants falsely claimed that DC Leaks was a group of American hackers and that Guccifer 2.0 was a lone Romanian hacker. In fact, both were created and controlled by the Russian GRU. In addition to releasing documents directly to the public, the defendants transferred stolen documents to another organization that is not identified by name in the indictment, and they used that organization uh, as a pass-through to release the documents. They discussed the timing of the release in an attempt to enhance the impact on the election. In an effort to conceal their connections to Russia, the defendants used a network of computers around the world, and they paid for it using cryptocurrencies. In a second related conspiracy, Russian GRU officers hacked the website of a state election board and stole information about 500,000 voters. They also hacked into computers of a company that supplied software used to verify voter registration information. They targeted state and local officials responsible for administering elections, and they sent spear phishing emails to people involved in administering elections, including attaching malicious software. Now, the indictment includes 11 criminal allegations and a forfeiture allegation. Count one charges 11 defendants for conspiring to access computers without authorization and to damage those computers in connection with efforts to interfere with the presidential election. Counts two through nine charge those 11 defendants with aggravated identity theft by employing the usernames and passwords of victims in order to commit computer fraud. Count 10 charges those 11 defendants with money laundering. Count 11 charges two defendants for a separate conspiracy to access computers without authorization and to damage those computers in connection with efforts to infiltrate computers used to administer elections. There is no allegation in this indictment that any American citizen committed a crime. There's no allegation that the conspiracy changed the vote count or affected any election result. The special counsel's investigation is ongoing and there will be no comments by the special counsel at this time. I want to caution you, the people who speculate about federal investigations 
usually do not know all of the relevant facts. We do not try cases on television or in congressional hearings. We follow the rule of law, which means that we follow procedures and we reserve judgment. We complete our investigations and we evaluate all of the relevant evidence before we reach any conclusion. That is how the American people expect their Department of Justice to operate, and that is how our department is going to operate. In our justice system, everyone who's charged with a crime is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. It should go without saying that people who are not charged with a crime also are presumed innocent. I briefed President Trump about these allegations earlier this week. The President is fully aware of the Department's actions today. In my remarks, I have not identified the victims. When we confront foreign interference in American elections, it's important for us to avoid thinking politically as Republicans or Democrats, and instead to think patriotically as Americans. Our response must not depend on which side was victimized. The Internet allows foreign adversaries to attack America in new and unexpected ways. Free and fair elections are always hard fought and contentious. There will always be adversaries who seek to exacerbate our divisions and try to confuse, divide, and conquer us. So long as we are united in our commitment to the values enshrined in the Constitution, they will not succeed. The partisan warfare fueled by modern technology does not fairly reflect the grace, dignity, and unity of the American people. The blame for election interference belongs to the criminals who committed election interference. We need to work together to hold the perpetrators accountable, and we need to keep moving forward to preserve our values, protect against future interference, and defend America. That was Deputy Attorney General Ron Rosenstein announcing the uh, indictment of 12 Russian military intelligence agents for their uh, alleged interference in the 2016 election. He mentioned no allegation uh, included in this indictment that the conspirators included changing uh, vote counts. We'll see if that turns out to be true. We know that the DHS did not actually count any ballots or examine any voting systems after the 2016 election. The White House, for their part, uh, issued a statement on these new indictments uh, focusing totally on uh, denying collusion with Russia, saying that uh, they knew nothing about Russia's unprecedented alleged cyber attack on the 2016 election. Uh, despite that, uh, the indictment explicitly mentions one specific date, July 27, 2016, the day that Trump called on Russia to hack Hillary Clinton and obtain her deleted personal emails. Hours later, the indicted Russians allegedly began spear phishing attacks on Clinton's personal office. The entire indictment, of course, underscores again how vulnerable all of our election systems are. Yes, including our uh, years old computerized voting and tabulation systems. 
And uh, while everyone, including us here, uh, was covering the insane hearing in the U.S. House on Thursday, attacking the FBI counterintelligence agent Peter Strzok, who was investigating all of this back in 2016, there was another hearing held in the U.S. Senate that got far less coverage on how to protect our wildly vulnerable voting and tabulation systems. We'll discuss part of that hearing and uh, the one U.S. senator demanding voters be allowed to use hand-marked paper ballots to help secure our systems. That's coming up next. And then a Republican from South Carolina who filed a lawsuit this week to demand such a voting system in the state. All of that is coming up on the broadcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Frank Heindel will be with us shortly from South Carolina. But uh, this past Wednesday in the U.S. Senate Rules Committee, Ron Wyden, uh, Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, testified about his uh, PAVE Act, the Protecting American Votes and Elections, or PAVE Act, the only election reform bill currently in the U.S. Senate calling for hand-marked paper ballots. Here was some of Wyden's testimony on Wednesday. My legislation focuses on two common-sense measures that are backed by the overwhelming number of cybersecurity experts in our country, paper ballots and risk-limiting audits. And I wrote this bill in spite of this campaign of ducking and bobbing and weaving, really stonewalling, from the major voting machine companies. Over the past year, I wrote the big voting machine companies asking them basic questions about their cybersecurity. These were not complicated questions. They were, have you been hacked? Uh, do you employ in-house cyber uh, experts? Really the basic sort of cyber hygiene 101. The companies refused to answer how or even if they are protecting their systems and the votes of the American people. Earlier this year, the New York Times published a story revealing that ESNS, the largest voting machine manufacturer, was selling devices that came pre-installed with modems and remote monitoring software. The experts say remote access to election infrastructure is now a five-alarm crisis when it comes to security. My view is you could only make it worse if you were to leave unguarded ballot boxes in Moscow and Beijing. So I kept writing to the company, following up with the same common sense questions. They ignored those as well. It is clear to me, Mr. Chairman, these companies want to be gatekeepers of our democracy, but they seem completely uninterested in safeguarding it. Five states exclusively use voting machines that do not produce a paper trail. 
The only record of the votes cast is a digital record, which could be hacked and which is impossible to audit reliably. That strikes me as a prescription for disaster. Americans need to have paper ballots marked by hand. Until that system is adopted, every election that goes by is yet another election that foreign governments, hostile foreign governments, including Russia, can hack. That was Ron Wyden, senator from Oregon, Democratic senator calling for hand-marked paper ballots via his PAVE Act or Protecting American Votes and Elections. Uh, he referred to also to one of the elections, U.S. Elections Assistance Commissioners who testified at that hearing as well, insisting that no votes were uh, changed in any way in 2016 and that our systems uh, could not be hacked because they weren't attached to the Internet. She was exactly wrong about that, entirely wrong. And incredibly, she's one of the four commissioners heading up the only federal body that oversees voting system security requirements in this country. We have seen report after report telling us completely the opposite. All you need to do is access one system and uh, then these machines are so vulnerable that a cyber attack against one machine could spread from one machine to the other to another. A Democrat and a Republican this week filed a lawsuit to end the use of the currently 100 percent unverifiable computerized touchscreen voting systems used in the state of South Carolina since 2006. The Republican in that suit and the attorney on it join us next to discuss it all. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Oh, I still love Jolson. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Way back in 2010, in the run-up to the Democratic Party primary that year the uh, for the U.S. Senate in the great state of South Carolina, Vic Rawl, a well-known four-term state, legislate, st- state legislator and former judge on the state circuit court, was thought to have a real shot against the powerful Republican South Carolina U.S. Senator at the time, Jim DeMint, in that November's election. Polls showed Rawl within shooting distance of DeMint, and Democrats were encouraged about Rawl as he campaigned broadly across the state in advance of that year's primary. But then something still unexplained to this day happened during the Democratic primary on South Carolina's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by ES&S. Their ES&S iVotronic touchscreen voting machines had proven problematic all over the country prior to that, as we had been reporting for some years at Bradblog.com. 
Uh, For example, they lost some 18,000 votes entirely in a Democratic stronghold in a very closely watched 2006 U.S. House election in Florida. For example, the lost votes on the, on those uh, ESNS Ivotronic touchscreens, which has also never been explained, gave the election to the Republican candidate down in Florida at the time by just more than 300 votes in the 2006 general election to replace the seat being vacated at the time by then Congresswoman, but uh, previously the infamous year 2000 Florida Secretary of State, Catherine Harris. That's just one of dozens of such unexplained disasters on the voting systems made by ES&S that we've covered over the years. That company, of course, is still the nation's largest computerized voting system vendor. So what happened in that Democratic U.S. Senate primary in South Carolina in 2010, where Vic Rall was expected to easily win the nomination before going on to face powerful Republican incumbent Senator Jim DeMint in the fall? Somehow, some guy named Alvin Green, an unknown, unemployed man who nobody had actually heard of, who did no campaigning, had no campaign website, who owned no cell phone even, and lived with his father at the time while facing felony obscenity charges. Somehow that guy, Alvin Green, managed to defeat Vic Rawl, according to the unverifiable ESNSI Votronic touchscreen voting systems used across the state of South Carolina. Green somehow managed to perform 11 points better on those touchscreen machines on Election Day than he did on the paper-based, hand-marked absentee ballots. The oft-failed, easily-manipulated ESNS election results reporting system gave Green a 59-41% to victory over Rawl on election night. 59 to 41 percent. He was uh, Rawl was trounced for the Democratic Party nomination to the U.S. Senate by a guy that quite literally nobody in the state of South Carolina had actually heard of at the time. In Lancaster County, uh, for example, as we reported at Bradblog.com way back in 2010, Judge Rawl had won in the absentee ballot count over Green by a staggering 84% to 16% margin. Nonetheless, Green somehow easily led among Election Day voters on those touchscreen systems in the county by 17 percentage points. How could that be? Rawl challenged the results at the time and brought forward both computer voting and political science experts who found at the time there was no other explanation than computer error or malfeasance to explain Green's victory over Rawl. Nonetheless, uh, Green went on uh, to keep the nomination and, of course, to be trounced by the Republican Dement that November DeMint ended up resigning from the U.S. Senate not long thereafter to run the far right-wing Heritage Foundation. The seat was then filled in South Carolina by the appointment of Republican Tim Scott, uh, as made at the time by then-Republican Governor Nikki Haley. She now serves as Donald Trump's ambassador to the U.N., and Tim Scott remains a U.S. senator from South Carolina. That remarkable 2010 Democratic primary upset of Vic Rawl by the unknown Alvin Green has itself still never been explained to this day. 
after that 20 uh, uh, that 2006 U.S. House election I mentioned in Florida, where 18,000 votes disappeared into thin air, Florida got rid of its 100% unverifiable ESNS iVotronic touchscreen voting machines. And of course, after that 2010 primary election debacle in South Carolina, they did the same. Actually, no, they didn't. I'm kidding. South Carolina didn't get rid of those machines. Incredibly, the state continues to use those same unverifiable systems today. After all of that, after the alleged attempts by Russia to hack and manipulate the election system during the 2016 presidential election, as we heard today, and as we remain just months out from the crucial 2018 midterm elections. We played earlier the testimony of Oregon's Democratic U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from his uh, remarks at the Senate Rules Committee uh, just this week on Wednesday advocating for his Protect American Votes and Elections Act, or PAVE Act. It's the only election reform bill currently in the U.S. Senate which calls for hand-marked paper ballots to be made available for every voter in the country, about which Wyden uh, had this to say during his testimony. Five states exclusively use voting machines that do not produce a paper trail, the only record of the votes cast is a digital record, which could be hacked and which is impossible to audit reliably. That strikes me as a prescription for disaster. Americans need to have paper ballots marked by hand. Until that system is adopted, every election that goes by is yet another election that foreign governments, hostile foreign governments, including Russia, can hack. Of course, it doesn't require a foreign government, hostile or otherwise, to hack these voting systems, as we've reported on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com for some 15 years now. It can very easily be done by just about anybody, particularly election insiders who have direct access to these systems and could flip results with virtually no likelihood of ever being detected. And, of course, many more than just the five states cited there by Wyden in fact, some 20 states, incredibly, still extensively use voting systems that are 100% unverifiable. But the ones still using touchscreen voting systems exclusively across the entire state on Election Day that produced no paper trail whatsoever are Louisiana, New Jersey, Delaware, Georgia, and, yes, South Carolina, where a lawsuit has now been filed this week on behalf of a former eight-term Democratic state senator and a longtime Republican businessman and Freedom of Information Act champion, calling out the state for failing to keep the voting process secure and demanding they take steps to do so, even as the state plans to use the same unverifiable, often-failed touchscreen voting systems they first purchased back in 2006, once again in 2018. The suit was filed on Tuesday in U.S. District Court in Columbia against the South Carolina Election Commission. Its members and Marcy Andino, the commission's executive director, demanding that the state protect the voters of South Carolina by ensuring that votes are recorded and counted accurately. 
The Republican co-plaintiff filing the case is Frank Heindel, a Mount Pleasant businessman who has worked for 40 years in the agricultural sector. He has filed some 47 FOIA requests with the State Election Commission and various counties over the past decade in his personal effort to investigate the mountain of concerns about the state's voting system. Uh, and he has been uh, working in recent years with the group ProtectDemocracy.org, a national nonpartisan nonprofit group of former White House and executive branch officials with the mission, according to their website, of, quote, preventing our democracy from declining into a more or authoritarian form of government. I'm very happy to be joined by Frank Heindel again today, as it's been years since we've spoken at all, much less on air. Uh, Frank, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. It's good to be here. It's uh, I'm. It's good to have you there, still plugging away after all of these years. Uh, I'm also uh, joined to help explain the federal lawsuit filed this week in South Carolina and posted at CountOurVotes.org. I'll link to it from Bradblog tonight as well. By uh, his attorney, Larry Schwartzall, counsel at Protect Democracy, where he engages in litigation and other advocacy to defend and strengthen democratic norms and institutions. Prior to joining Protect Democracy, Mr. Schwartztall was executive director of the Criminal Justice Policy Program at Harvard Law School. Prior to that, a litigator in the national offices of the ACLU. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, Larry Schwartztall. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Frank, let me start with you. Uh, as I said, it's been a while since we've spoken, but you have been a champion for election integrity for many years out there in uh, South Carolina. As frankly little more than an individual voter trying to figure out what's going on. What led you as a Republican, I want to underscore that, uh, down this path in South Carolina, even while many in your own party, uh, you know, back then and still now, I hate to say it, seem to show very little concern about election system security and voter verified uh, systems and results that can be overseen and known by the public to reflect voter intent. Uh, wh why did you start down this path at all, Frank? I've just always been skeptical of the black box uh, mentality where you go in and you just trust the machine and there's no way to verify the results. It's just, uh, it's never, it's always been a non-starter with me and I've always been, uh, uh, I've just, I've just never really trusted that system and I've tried to push us more towards a paper-based, uh, way to vote, and, and it's taken many years here, but I'm starting to get a little optimistic that uh, that the worm has turned and we're going to make some progress, and, uh, you know, over over 47 Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, over the years, I, I've just seen so many different problems and issues that crop up that, that, that just shouldn't be happening if we had a paper-based uh, system. You know, I'm looking at a letter from June of 2016 here, Brad, uh, County Election Director, sending something in to Miss Andino talking about the, the system being so old. She's referring to it as a dinosaur, as a prehistoric relic, listing, you know, many issues that are wrong with the electronics machines. They're just too old. The touch screens don't work. Uh, the wires are exposed. The batteries don't last six months. You know, it's just on and on. So, you know, we've got a serious security problem, but we've also got antiquated, outdated equipment. Yeah, well, e even when these uh, systems, quote-unquote, worked, Frank, uh, like uh, back in 2010, as I mentioned, in that Alvin Green, infamous Alvin Green race, there were still questions about whether they actually were 
work. What have, what have you discovered, just uh, an example or two from over the years uh, from your FOIA requests uh, for these systems that uh, uh, had you concerned even before they got old and antiquated and started to physically fall apart? Well, the counties would have problems of configuring the ballots and, and to where they weren't able to extract all of the ballot image files from the various machines to actually show proof that the, that the, that the voters really cast their vote on the machines. That would mm-hmm. be that would be some issues. And, and just uh, what the other thing, too, is that they, they break down frequently. They, they create long lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a machine needs to be, uh, you press candidate A and it, and it, and it highlights candidate B, and the voter complains, and that machine is taken out of service for several hours, and you have lines start to build up at the at the local precinct level. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just operationally, there it's just not it's not adequate to uh, to get the voters in and out in a timely manner. Those, those things are what just irritate me, and it, it, and we just we just we need a we need a better, more efficient system. Um, and you know, obviously, it's got to be paper based as well. You know, you need a system where the winner knows that he won and the loser knows that he lost and everybody knows that their votes were cast and counted correctly. And we don't have that today. Oh, you're so radical, Frank. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty pretty simple, you know. It's too bad I didn't move 20 years ago to a different state like Florida or Colorado and I wouldn't have to be doing this, you know, but it just seems so sensible. But uh, it's very difficult to move the state to do the right thing. It sure seems to. Um, uh, Well, actually, one more question, Frank, for you before I get to Larry here. Uh, It's interesting that your your co-plaintiff here, uh, Phil uh, Leventis uh, is a, f- a former eight-term state senator. Uh, he's a Democrat. Uh, w- were there no former Republican legislators uh, who were willing to join this case? And w- why is that, in your opinion? I, I met Phil uh, several years ago, back when we uh, would give him a presentation or two to the public, and he he just had the he had the right mindset. He never trusted these machines when when the state first procured them. He was against that. And um, you know he he just he understands that he's got a he's got more integrity in his little finger than most people got in their whole body. He's you know he's he's a patriot and uh, just a fine, upstanding, well-respected man in South Carolina. I'm tickled. He's he's on the he's on uh, our suit, and uh, you know it doesn't take. We don't need uh, we don't need many people involved as plaintiffs. You know, we you know he and I are plenty to get the get the uh, suit started. Uh, Larry uh, Schwartztall, Frank, and uh, uh, Phil uh, Leventis's lawsuit here demands South Carolina protect the votes of voters somehow. Uh, what is it you're specifically alleging in this lawsuit and uh, and calling for as a remedy? So what we describe in the lawsuit is a voting system that contains just unnecessary vulnerabilities and that is not sufficiently reliable to do the work. That, uh, that that Frank just described, the work of ensuring that votes are accurately recorded and counted. Um, so the iVotronic system, the, the system that's used statewide in South Carolina, um, has been shown to be vulnerable not just um, through kind of a- anecdotal experience with particular circumstances, circumstances where they've broken down, um, but they've been studied pretty rigorously, mm-hmm. um, and in the, the litigation papers we filed, we described this in a lot of detail. Uh, back in 2007, a group of leading computer uh, security experts 
were commissioned by Ohio's Secretary of State to study several electronic voting systems. Uh, one of those systems was the iVotronic system, the one used in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that the architecture and the software uh, that compose these machines are um, are vulnerable in startling ways and really unnecessarily vulnerable to the kinds of cyber attacks that could uh, disrupt or uh, or undermine an election um, or, or even just undermine confidence in the election by um, you know e- even relatively kind of small scale interference um, and so you know those are findings that have been repeated multiple times last summer at the at the, the, at the DEFCON hackers conference there's a lot of national media reporting about this in uh, Vegas yeah in, in Vegas yeah this is a group of computer researchers uh, who came together and one of the things they did at the conference last year was uh, to you know, sort of threw a bunch of these folks into the mix with some voting machinery to see how easily hackable the machines were the iVotronic system was one of them mm-hmm. and, and yet again there were significant vulnerabilities that were uh, uncovered um, and so what we're arguing in the lawsuit is that that's not enough. Uh, a system that lacks the basic reliability um, uh, that, that the voters of South Carolina deserve, uh, it can't be exposed to the risk of hacking that way. And so what we're arguing for in the lawsuit is to replace that system with one that meets some basic kind of common sense principles and, and really a lot of the things that both you and Frank have pointed to in this conversation. Uh, they should have a system that is uh, secure, secure in its basic architecture against cyber attacks and also auditable so that if something does go wrong, you've got a reliable way to confirm the results based on voter intent. Um, and the main way to do that, most people agree, is, um, is a pretty simple one, and that's building a system around uh, paper ballots that can be um, that, that can be verified, that can be audited, uh, that can be the subject of a recount if necessary. And you know, I think one of the things that's really important, and it goes to some of what you were asking Frank about, is that this increasingly really is an issue that has become much less politically polarizing or partisan than, than so much uh, so much of what we see in in the political arena right now. Mm. I think it is instructive that. The two plaintiffs in this case are a lifelong Republican and a lifelong Democrat. Um, and actually, I think that's consistent with a lot of what we're seeing nationally. There's, there's proposed legislation that would uh, do a lot to shore up the country's election systems. That's sponsored by a bipartisan group uh, of legislators, including Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Um, you know, back of, uh, just as one example uh, of many, a few months ago there was uh, an op-ed in the Washington Post, co-authored by you know noted liberals Grover Norquist and Michael Chertoff, <laughs> right. right? Grover Norquist, uh, conservative activist, and Michael Chertoff, who's President Bush's Secretary of Homeland Security, mm-hmm. making similar arguments. And so, what we're calling for in the lawsuit is to take those common sense principles uh, and and put them in place in South Carolina, so that the plaintiffs in this case and every South Carolina voter. Uh, can use a system that is reliable and um, and and not unnecessarily exposed to mischief by hackers or others. And and I would add, overseeable by the public for those uh, annoying guys like Frank who actually want to know if the uh, results were recorded accurately. Uh, Larry, you you, say, you refer to that. Um, 
that report from uh, 2007 out of Ohio as startling. Uh, it was startling back in 2007, and here we are more than a decade later. We're still stuck with uh, many of these same systems uh, almost entirely across the country, much less in South Carolina. Uh, two questions for you. Is there any chance that this suit can have any effect? Do you ex expect it to have any effect on the upcoming November election in, uh, in, in South Carolina. And related to that, Larry, uh, in Georgia, a similar lawsuit is being filed by citizen election integrity advocates there calling for the state, which also uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems across the state, uh, to allow every voter to use a hand-marked paper ballot this November instead, because, as the complaint argues, the state already has such a system in place for their absentee ballots, so why not use it for everyone? Uh, could that also be uh, included in your, or is it included in your, uh, uh, for as a demand in your lawsuit in South Carolina? You know, we we do think the state election commission should take action to secure this November's elections, um, and there there are probably a few different models for what that could look like. South Carolina, uh, like Georgia, has certified um, uh, optical scan machines, so machines that read voter-marked paper ballots. Uh, they're typically used for provisional ballots or for absentee ballots. That might be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as I'm sure you, you, you know, Brad, uh, back in uh, 2017 and in September in Virginia, the director of elections uh, in Virginia mm -hmm. decertified the uh, electronic voting machines that were used in, in many, not all, but many of the counties in that state, mm -hmm. uh, and accomplished this really amazing transition between September and November to ensure that every voter in that state had access to uh, a secure and reliable system. So, so we are going to press the State Election Commission in South Carolina to take meaningful action uh, by November. Uh, whether whether that action by November is um, the the full sort of long term solution, I'm not sure. But but we do think that there's an important election coming up, and and that should be treated with urgency. Well, and uh, just don't let them tell you it can't be done in time for November because they do have that absentee paper ballot system that they could use immediately tomorrow. Uh, Frank uh, Heindel, uh, have have the iVotronic systems that uh, you are suing against here. Have they been updated or improved in any way, shape, or form over the years uh, since uh, you've been working on this and since Alvin Green uh, stunned the nation, as I described, with his still wholly unexplained upset of uh, Vic Rall during the 2010 Democratic U.S. Senate primary? Larry, you've done some uh, research as far as the, the, the slight modifications they've made over the years. I don't think there's been anything uh, major, but there have been uh, some slight changes to the machines, I believe, haven't there, Larry? Yeah, so our understanding is that um, there, there are two major software systems. There's the one that runs through the machines and the one that essentially runs at headquarters. Mm -hmm. um, and our understanding is that the system that runs at headquarters has been updated uh, once or potentially twice. It's, you know, the, the ESNS, you know, ver it, um, it's not literally version 2.0, but, you know, maybe right. it went from 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0 um, uh, over the course of the years. But, but our understanding is that the software that runs on the system, on the voting machines themselves, is the same software that was 
studied in 2007 as, as part of that Ohio report, mm-hmm. um, and and that that's the same. And certainly the architecture, the machines themselves, the hardware, those are the same machines. And and some of the vulnerabilities that were um, that were discovered during that earlier analysis, uh, you know, those are about the hardware. Those are about the machines themselves, mm-hmm. and those haven't changed. And you know, the one other thing I would just mention very quickly, you you described the. 2006 election in uh, in Florida. Yeah, the Florida Secretary of State also commissioned a report uh, to try to understand what went wrong in that election. And as you suggested earlier, the, that report uh, was inconclusive. They never figured out uh, why those 18,000 votes were lost. But mm-hmm. in the course of doing that report, they studied some of the security vulnerabilities of the Ivotronic machine, uh, and they reached very similar conclusions to what. The Ohio report uh, discussed, and and those again were kind of you know built into the architecture of the system. Yeah, I, which is uh, troubling that they found that that many years ago, and South Carolina is still using those very same systems. Uh, Frank uh, ESNS, the uh, nation's largest uh, election system vendor, uh, apparently refused to show up at all for a hearing this week in the U.S. Senate. And they have, uh, as uh, Ron Wyden, we played him earlier, uh, said that they have refused to answer his simple questions for months and months about the cyber, about their own cybersecurity practices uh, at the company. You know, as you've been watching this all of these years uh, and as South Carolina does apparently plan eventually to move away from the current system, would you have confidence in moving to a new system made by the uh, made by the same company at this point, Frank? I'm not going to get into the particulars of of what vendor they should pick down the road, Um, you know, as long as we've got this paper uh, paper ballot. I'm going to be comfortable with that. One thing I'd like to comment on, though, just my experience dealing with the counties in the state and and seeing quite a bit of ES&S communications back and forth. You saw today where the uh, the Rosenstein was saying that the Russians had sent phishing emails to various uh, Mm -hmm. state and and county uh, folks. And my interactions with some of these counties makes me uh, concerned, the the idea that they're just our county election people. They're they're hardworking and they mean well, but, uh, you know, I can get tricked on a phishing email. So Mm -hmm. the idea that that we have state and, and county election people that are trying to fend off sophisticated attacks from from foreign adversaries i mean it's 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 crucial that we kind of get our arms and around this thing and get the paper sooner rather than later because it's even these esns people the vendors that are out working in the field they're a little loose loosey-goosey to me you know i just don't have as much respect or confidence in these people being extremely secure and you know just uh, safe enough to mm-hmm. be to be uh, fending off these attacks it's it's very it's very troubling to me uh yeah it is and uh, you know we shouldn't have to have trust in anyone as i've long argued in our electoral systems we ought to be able to oversee them uh frank you you ought to be able to make your public records requests and uh make sure that votes were you know counted as voters intended uh, i've got just another minute or two here and i'll throw this out to either one of you the uh, state election commissioner uh, we mentioned uh, Marcy Andino. She uh, commented this week that she, too, would like to replace the voting systems in South Carolina, but that only some $10 million 
has so far been authorized, uh, I guess, uh, by the state and federal governments, and that it would require $50 million to replace all of the state's voting systems. But if they stopped using touchscreen systems where you have to have one for every voter in a precinct and instead went to hand-marked, paper-based optical scan systems, that would cost a lot less than $50 million, would it not? So let me let me say a couple things about that, um, and and you you pointed to a couple things that I'm I'm glad you did. You know, the first is the 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 comment that um, the director of the state election commission made in the in the press earlier this week, where she said, you know, it's time for change, and I, you know I want to give her credit for that. Um, I think it's it's encouraging that that is the view that's being expressed, and not a sort of you know defending the system they've got as it exists. Um, you know they they've been making uh, making that sort of claim for a few years now, or at least gesturing in that direction, and, mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened yet, which is one of the reasons that we filed the case. But I think it's encouraging that they kind of get the change needs to happen, and and, and I think they deserve credit for that. Um, you know, I also think I mean a few things. One is it's ultimately the responsibility of the state election commission to ensure that the system they certify and that they set out for the voters of South Carolina meets all the relevant legal standards, including constitutional standards. And they haven't done that yet, and they're responsible for doing that. And, you know, seeking additional funding from the legislature is um, is fine, but, you know, ultimately, uh, whether the solution is through um, uh, financing with, with the vendors or, you know, other ways to ensure that they can get a, a new system in place is the responsibility of, of the SEC. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, I, like, like Frank, am, you know, I, I'm not sure what the ultimate number should be, and, and I don't think it's for us in this lawsuit to micromanage the system that they put in place as long as they put in place a system that meets the kind of basic common sense standards that define a reliable election system. But I, I will note that um, a, an analysis by, um, by Verified Voting and the mm-hmm. Brennan Center um, uh, suggested that the price to replace South Carolina's system with a, uh, a reliable system based on uh, uh, verifiable pa- paper ballots uh, was a much lower cost estimate mm-hmm. than the $50 million that the uh, State Election Commission has cited. So, yep. you know, I, I think, I think there's, there's room for a conversation about what the new system should be and how much it costs, but the bottom line is it has to get done. Yes, it does. Uh, last uh, question here, and uh, I guess I'll get a quick response from each of you. Uh, the uh, Andino, the uh, state election commissioner, yes, uh, I'm glad to see that she wants to move to a new system, but she also uh, stated flatly in uh, responding to your lawsuit this week that, quote, there has been, quote, no hacking of the state system since they were purchased in 2006. Uh, that may or may not be, uh, you know, Frank, I guess the question is, is that true? How can she actually know that? Do they do any post-election forensic examinations of those systems to find out after each election over all these years? Well, that's that's an extremely difficult uh, question to answer, and I'm just trying to get to the point where uh, the next election we have, we don't have to have that kind of question. I want something that there's no... uh, and, and, and we're completely certain of the results, and we've got to get to a system where we have these post election audits. You know, we've got to we've got to get the paper, and then we've got to do the post. 
installation audits. So we don't have any more uncertainty about, about that. So you can uh, don't have to ask that question anymore. <laughs> that's that's uh, sort of my point here in asking it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Larry, do you have any uh, thoughts on that when she states no hacking of these states, uh, the state systems in all these years? Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my response really is a lot like Frank's, which is that, you know, I, I think the thing that we have learned over and over again since 2016, and we learned it again today with uh, with the indictments that, that were issued relating to um, hacking around the 2016 election, mm-hmm. is that the infrastructure of our election systems are a precious national resource. And what that means is that there's all kinds of bad actors who would seek to harm or disrupt uh, that infrastructure. And I think there's just no question today, in 2018, given everything we know, that we've just got to take every reasonable step to fortify our systems against those kinds of attacks. And so, you know, what we're trying to do in this lawsuit is, as, as Frank said, take that question off the table, provide uh, uh, more certainty and reliability, and, um, and, and to make sure that we protect the democratic infrastructure against what were becoming increasingly kind of predictable threats. If we can't oversee it, we can't have any confidence in it at all, I would argue. Larry Schwartztall, uh, Counsel at Protect Democracy, thank you so much for joining us and for your work on this lawsuit. Uh, you can thank find you. him and his uh, work at protectdemocracy.org. And, of course, our longtime friend Frank Heindel of South Carolina, uh, who uh, has just been a champion for so many years on all of this. Uh, Frank, uh, thank you so much. I'll point folks towards the lawsuit at CountOurVotes.org. But thank you for your many years of uh, work on this important issue, my friend. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for having us on. You bet. Okay, we got to get out of here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to uh, my guests, Frank Heindel of South Carolina and Larry Schwartztall of ProtectDemocracy.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the internets, I am simply the Brad Blog. And as always, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. To help us keep fighting this good fight for as many years as we can, that's bradblog.com slash donate. You're the only ones keeping us on your public airwaves and on your podcasts. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.